Good morning, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Yes, this is a special edition of us going live today. Why, you may ask, well, the affidavit in the Brian Koberger case has been released, just released. He's supposed to appear in court here in about seven minutes. It won't be televised, so we thought we would use our time to talk with you about what is in the affidavit. And the best way to know what's in the affidavit is, frankly, just to read it so that you can say, I've heard everything about it. I know exactly what's there and what isn't there and to avoid the speculation so you know exactly what's going on. So first thing, uh, the court file has been released so far. We have the probable cause order saying that Mr. Koberger probable cause has been found to arrest him. The uh, warrant for his arrest stating that he will be on a no bond hold and committed to the Latah County uh, Sheriff. We also have the uh, criminal complaint and information which alleges uh, burglary in uh, count one. Uh, count two is murder in the first degree for Madison Mogan. Count uh, three is uh, Kaylee Gonsalves. Count four, Zaina Kernoble. And uh, count five, as it relates to the murder of Ethan Chapin. So, uh, that are, those are the charges. Obviously, burglary is that somebody entered the residence of another with the intent to commit a crime therein. In this particular case, it's murder. All these alleged occurred on November 13th of 2022. The elements of first-degree murder is they have to prove that Brian Koberger, on or about November 13th in Latah County, state of Idaho, did willfully, unlawfully, without legal permission or justification, deliberately, with premeditation, and with malice aforethought, kill and murder Kaylee Gonzalez, Zena Kernodal, Ethan Chapin, and Madison Mogan. So let's get to the affidavit. It is a thick one. Nothing like some of the long ones we've seen. Normally the shorter they are, but this one, uh, my quick perusal of it so far, looks like that pesky DNA on the sheath to the knife is what is going to get him. Let's go ahead and um, get started. This is Exhibit A to the affidavit. Uh, to the arrest warrant, statement of Brett Payne. The below, the below information is provided by Brett Payne, who is a duly appointed, qualified, and acting peace officer within the county of Latah, state of Idaho. Brett Payne is employed by the Moscow Police Department in this official capacity or position of corporal and has been trained and qualified peace officer approximately four years. Corporal Payne is being assisted by members of the Idaho State Police and agents of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. On November 13th, 2022, at approximately 4 p.m., the Moscow Police Department Sergeant Blaker and I responded to 1122 King Road, Moscow, Idaho, here and after King Road residence to assist with scene security and processing of a crime scene associated with four homicides. Upon our arrival, the Idaho State Police uh, forensic team was on scene and was preparing to begin processing the scene. The Moscow Police Department, Officer Smith, one of the initial responding officers on the incident, advised he would walk me through the scene. Officer Smith and I entered the King Road residence through the bottom floor door on the north side of the building. Officer Smith and I then walked upstairs to the second floor. Officer Smith directed me down the hallway to the west bedroom on the first floor, which I later learned through Zaina's driver's license and other personal belongings found in the room was Zaina Kernodal, here and after Kernodal room. Just before this room was a bathroom door on the south wall of the hallway. 
As I approached the room, I could see a body later identified as Kernodal laying on the floor. Kernodal was deceased with wounds which appeared to have been caused by an edged weapon. Also in the room was a male later identified as Ethan Chapin, here and after Chapin. Chapin was also deceased with wounds later determined. Perrin autopsy report provided by Spokane County Medical Examiner dated 15, December 15, 2022 to be caused by sharp force injuries. I then followed Officer Smith upstairs to the third floor of the residence. The third floor consisted of two bedrooms and one bathroom. The bedroom on the west side of the floor was later determined by to be Kaylee Gonsalves, here and after Gonsalves' room. I later learned from review of Officer Nunez's body camera, there was a dog in the room when Moscow police officers initially responded. The dog belonged to Gonsalves and her ex-boyfriend, Jack DeCour. I found out from my interview with Jack DeCour on November 13th that he and Gonsalves shared the dog. Officer Smith then pointed out a small bathroom on the east side of the third floor. This bathroom shared a wall with Madison Mogan hereafter Mogan's bedroom, which was situated on the southeast corner of the third floor. As I entered this bedroom, I could see two females in the single bed in the room. Both Gonsalves and Mogan were deceased with visible stab wounds. I also noticed what appeared to be a tan leather knife sheath laying on the bed next to Mogan's right side. When viewed from the door, the sheath was later processed and had KBAR, USMC, on the United States Marine Corps Eagle Globe and Anchor insignia stamped on the outside of it. The Idaho State Police later located a single source of male DNA suspected profile left on the button snap of the knife sheath. Hold on one second here. My... <laughs> I'm getting feedback on something here and I don't want it to do that. So let me just turn that off. Anyway, we'll do that. As part of the investigation, numerous interviews were conducted by the Moscow Police Department, Officer Idaho State Police Detectives and FBI agents. Two of the interviews included BF and DM. Both BF and DM were inside the King Road residence at the time of the homicide and were roommates of the victims. BF's bedroom was located on the east side of the first floor of the King Road residence, and based upon numerous interviews conducted by Moscow police officers, Idaho State police detectives, and FBI agents, as well as my review of the evidence, I've learned the following. On the evening of November 12, 2022, Chapin and Kernodal are seen by BF at the Sigma Chi house on the University of Idaho campus at 735 Nez Perce. Drive from approximately 9 p.m. on November 12th to one on November 12 to 1:45 a.m. on November 13th. BF also estimated that at approximately 1:45 a.m. Chapin and Kernodal um, returned to the King Road residence. BF also stated that Chapin did not live in the King Road residence but was a guest of Kernodal. <laughs> on the evening, um, Gonsalves and, and uh, Mogan were at a local bar, the Corner Club at 202 North Main Street in Moscow. Gonsalves and Mogan can be seen on video footage provided by the Corner Club between 10 p.m. and November 12th and 1.30 a.m. on November 13th. At approximately 1.30 a.m., Gonsalves and Mogan can be seen on video at a local food vendor called the Grub Truck at 318 South Main Street in downtown Moscow. The grub truck 
live streams video from their food truck on the streaming platform, Twitch, which is available for public viewing on their website. This video was captured by law enforcement. A private party deleted, uh, reported that he provided a ride to Gonsalves and Mogan at approximately 1.56 a.m. from downtown Moscow in front of Grubhub truck to the King Road residence. DM and BF both made statements during the interviews that indicated the occupants of the King Road residence were home at 2 a.m. and asleep, or at least in their rooms by approximately 4 a.m. This is with the exception of Kernodal, who received a DoorDash order at the residence at approximately 4 a.m. Law enforcement identified the DoorDash delivery driver, driver who reported this information. DM stated she originally went to sleep in her bedroom on the southeast side of the second floor. DM stated she was awoken at approximately 4 a.m. by what she stated sounded like Gonsalves playing with her dog in one of the upstairs bedrooms, which were located on the third floor. A short time later, DM said she heard what who she thought was Gonsalves say something to the effect of there's someone here. A review of records obtained from a forensic download of Kernodal's phone showed this could also have been Kernodal as her cellular phone indicated she was likely awake and using TikTok app at approximately 4.12 a.m. DM stated she looked out of her bedroom but did not see anything when she heard the comments about someone being in the house. DM stated she opened her door a second time when she heard what she thought was crying coming from Kernodal's room. DM then said she heard a male voice say something to the effect, it's okay, I'm going to help you. At approximately 4.17 a.m., a security camera located at 1112 King Road, a residence immediately to the northwest of 1122 King Road, picked up distorted audio of what sounded like voices or a whimper followed by a loud thud. thud. A dog can be a dog can also be heard barking numerous times at approximately 4.17 a.m. The security camera is less than 50 feet from the west wall of Kernodal's bedroom. DM stated she opened her door for the third time after she heard the crying and saw a figure clad in black clothing and a mask that covers the person's mouth and nose walking towards her. DM described the figure as 5'10 or taller, male, not very muscular, but athletically built, with bushy eyebrows. The male walked past DM as she stood in a frozen shock phase. The male walked towards the back sliding glass door. DM locked herself in her room. After seeing the male, DM did not state that she recognized the male. This leads investigators to believe that the murderer left the scene. The combination of DM's statement to law enforcement, review of forensic downloads of records from BF and DM's phone, and video of suspected video, as described below, leads investigators to believe that the homicide occurred between 4 a.m. and 4.25 a.m. During the processing of the crime scene, investigators found a latent shoe print. This was located during the second processing of the crime scene by the Idaho State Police forensic team by first using a presumptive blood test and then amino black, a protein stain that detects the presence of cellular material. The detected shoe print showed a diamond-shaped pattern similar to a pattern of Vans-type shoe sole just outside of 
the door of DM's bedroom located on the second floor. This is consistent with DM's statements regarding the suspect's path of travel. As part of the investigation, an extensive search commonly referred to in law enforcement as a video canvas was conducted in the area of King Road residence. This video canvas was to obtain any footage from the early morning hours of November 13th, 2022 in the area of the King Road residence and surrounding neighborhoods in an effort to locate suspects or suspect vehicles traveling to or leaving from the King Road residence. This video canvas resulted in the collection of numerous surveillance videos in the area from both residential and business addresses. I have reviewed numerous videos that were located and had been and had conversations with other Moscow officers, Idaho State Police detectives and FBI agents that are similarly reviewing footage that was obtained. A review of camera footage indicated that a white sedan hereafter suspect vehicle one was observed traveling westbound in the 700 block of Indian Hills Drive in Moscow at approximately 3.26 a.m. and the westbound of Steiner Avenue at Idaho State Highway 95 in Moscow at approximately 3.28 a.m. On this video, it appears suspect vehicle one was not displaying a front license plate. A review of footage and multiple videos obtained from King Road neighborhood showed multiple sightings of suspect vehicle one starting at 3.29 a.m. and ending at 4.20 a.m. These sightings showed suspect vehicle one making an initial three passes by the 1122 King Road residence and then leave via Walenta, W-A-L-E-N-T-A drive. Based on my experience as patrol officer, this is a residential neighborhood with a very limited number of vehicles that travel in the area during the early morning hours. Upon review of the video, there are only a few cars that enter and exit this area during this time frame. Suspect vehicle one can be seen entering the area four times. Let me start that over. Suspect vehicle one can be seen entering the area a fourth time at approximately 4.04 a.m. It can be seen driving eastbound on King Road, stopping and turning around in front of 500 Queen Road number 52, and then driving back westbound on King Road. When suspect vehicle one is in front of the King Road residence, it appeared to unsuccessfully attempt to park or turn around in the road. The vehicle then continued to the intersection off Queen Road and King Road, where it can be seen completing a three-point turn and then driving eastbound again down Queen Road. Suspect vehicle one is next seen departing the area of the King Road residence at approximately 4.20 a.m. at a high rate of speed. Suspect vehicle one is next observed traveling southbound on Walenta Drive. Based on my knowledge of the area and review of camera footage in the neighborhood that does not show suspect vehicle one during that time frame, I believe that suspect vehicle one likely exited the neighborhood at Palouse, P-A-L-O-U-S River Drive and Constaga Drive. Palouse Drive is at the south is at the southern edge of Moscow and proceeds into Whitman County, Washington. Eventually, the road leads to Pullman, Washington. Pullman, Washington is approximately 10 miles from Moscow, Idaho. Both Pullman and Moscow uh, are small college towns 
and people commonly travel back and forth between them. Law enforcement officers provided video footage of suspect vehicle one to forensic examiners to the Federal Bureau of Investigation that regularly utilized surveillance footage to identify the year, make, and model of an unknown vehicle that is observed by one or more cameras during the commission of a criminal offense. The forensic examiner has approximately 35 years of law enforcement experience with 12 years at the FBI. His specific training includes identifying unique characteristics of vehicles, and he uses a database that gives visual clues of vehicles across states to identify difference between vehicles. After reviewing the numerous observations of suspect vehicle one, the forensic examiner initially believed the suspect vehicle one was a 2011 to 2013 Hyundai Elantra. Upon further review, he indicated it could be a 2011 through 2016 Hyundai Elantra. As a result, investigators have been reviewing information on persons in possession of a vehicle that is a 2011 to 2016 white Hyundai Elantra. Investigators were given access to video footage on the Washington State University uh, WSU campus located in Pullman, Washington. A review of the video indicated that approximately 2.44 a.m. on November 13, 2022, a white sedan, which was consistent with the description of the white Elantra known as Suspect Vehicle 1, was observed on Washington State University surveillance cameras traveling north on Southeast Nevada Street at Northeast Stadium Way. At approximately 2.53 a.m., the white sedan, which is consistent with the description of the white Elantra known as Suspect Vehicle 1, was observed traveling southeast on Nevada Street in Pullman, Washington, towards State Road 270. State Road 270 connects Pullman, Washington, to Moscow, Idaho. The camera footage from Pullman, Washington, provided to the same FBI forensic examiner. The FBI forensic examiner identified the vehicle observed in Pullman, Washington, as being the 2014 to 2016 Hyundai Elantra. At approximately 5.25 a.m., a white sedan which was consistent with the description of suspect vehicle one was observed on five cameras in Pullman, Washington and on the Washington State University campus cameras. The first camera that recorded the white sedan was located at 1300 Johnson Road in Pullman. The white sedan was observed traveling northbound on Johnson Road. Johnson Road leads directly back to West Palouse River Drive in Moscow, which intersects with Constaga Drive. The white sedan was then observed turning north on Bishop Boulevard and northwest on State Road 270. At approximately 5.27 a.m., the white Elantra was observed on cameras traveling northbound on Stadium Way at Nevada Street, Stadium Way at Grimes Way, Stadium Drive at Wilson Road, and Stadium Way at Cougar Way. Then they have a little uh, picture here that you can't really make out based upon the copy the uh, copy here, but it's the best we got. On November 25th, 2022, uh, Moscow Police Department asked area law enforcement agencies to be on the lookout for a white Hyundai Elantras in the area. On November 29th at approximately 1228 a.m., Washington State University police officer Daniel Tenego queried white Elantras registered at Washington State University. As a result of that query, he located a 2015 white Elantra with a Pennsylvania license plate LFZ8649. This vehicle was registered to Brian Koberger, hereafter Koberger, residing at 1630 Northeast Valley Road, Apartment 20, I'm sorry, Apartment 201, Pullman, Washington. 
1630 Northeast Valley Road is approximately three quarters of a mile from the intersection of Stadium Way and Cougar Way, last camera location that picked up the white Elantra. That same day at approximately 12.58 a.m., Washington State University Officer Curtis Whitman was looking for white Hyundai Elantras and located a 2015 white Hyundai Elantra at 1630 Northeast Valley Road in Pullman in the parking lot. 1630 North Valley Road is an apartment complex that houses Washington State University students. Officer Whitman also ran the car and it returned to Coburg. Koberger with a Washington tag. I reviewed Koberger's Washington State driver's license information and photograph. The license indicates that Koberger is a white male with a height of six foot and weighs 185 pounds. Additionally, the photograph of Koberger shows that he has bushy eyebrows. Koberger's physical description is consistent with the description of the male DM saw inside the King Road residence on November 13th. Further investigation, including a review of the Latah County Sheriff's Deputy Corporal Duke's body cam and reports, showed that on August 21st, 2022, Brian Koberger was detained as part of a traffic stop that occurred in Moscow, Idaho by Corporal Duke. At that time, Koberger was a sole occupant, was driving a 2015 Hyundai Elantra with Pennsylvania plates, LFZ 8649, which was set to expire on November 30th, 2022. During the stop, which was recorded via a law enforcement body cam, Koberger provides his phone number as, there's a redaction, and then the last four digits are 8458. Hereafter, the 8458 phone as his cellular telephone number. Investigators conducted electronic database queries and learned that 8458 phone is a number issued by AT&T. On October 14th, 2022, Brian Koberger was detained as part of a traffic stop by the Washington State University police officer. Upon review of that body cam and report of the stop, Koberger was the sole occupant and was driving a white 2015 Hyundai Elantra with Pennsylvania license plate LFZ 8649. On November 18th, 2022, according to Washington State Police, Koberger registered the 2015 white Elantra with Washington and later received Washington plate CFB 8708. Prior to that time, the 2015 white Elantra was registered in Pennsylvania, which does not require a front license plate to be displayed. This was learned through communications with a Pennsylvania officer who is currently certified in the state of Pennsylvania. Based on my own experience and communications with the Washington law enforcement, I know that Idaho and Washington require front and back license plates to be displayed. Investigators believe that Koberger is still driving the 2015 white Elantra because his vehicle was captured on December 13, 2022 by a license plate reader in Loma, Colorado, information provided by a query to a database. Koberger's Elantra was then queried on December 15, 2022 by law enforcement in Hancock County, Indiana. On December 16, 2022, at approximately 2.26 p.m., surveillance video shows Koberger's Elantra in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania. The sole occupant of the vehicle was a white male whose description was consistent with Koberger. Koberger has family in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania, learned through a TLO search and locate tool database query. Based on information provided on the WSU 
website. Koberger is currently a PhD student in criminology at Washington State University. Pursuant to records provided by a member of the interview panel for Pullman Police Department, we learned that Koberger's past education included undergraduate's degree in psychology and cloud-based forensics. These records also show Koberger wrote an essay when he applied for an internship with the Pullman Police Department in the fall of 2022. Koberger wrote in his essay that he had interest in assisting rural law enforcement agencies with how to better collect and analyze technological data in a public safety operations. Koberger also posted a Reddit survey, which can be found by an open source internet search. The survey asked for participants to provide information to understand how emotions and psychological traits influence decision-making when committing a crime. As part of the investigation, law enforcement obtained search warrants to determine cellular devices that utilized cellular towers in close proximity to the King Road residence on November 13th of 2022 between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. After determining that Koberger was associated to both the 2015 White Elantra and the 8458 phone, investigators reviewed these search warrant returns. A query of the 8458 phone in these returns did not show the 8458 phone utilizing cellular towers resources in close proximity to the King Road residence between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. Based upon my training experience and conversation with law enforcement officers that specialize in the utilization of cellular telephone records as part of investigations, individuals can either leave their cellular telephone at a different location before committing a crime or turn their cellular phone off prior to going to a location to commit the crime. This is done by subjects in an effort to avoid alerting law enforcement that a cellular device associated with them is in the particular area where a crime is committed. I also know that numerous occasions subjects will surveil an area where they intend to commit a crime prior to the date of the crime. Depending on the circumstances, this could be done a few days before or for several months prior to the commission of a crime. During these types of surveillance, it is possible that an individual would not leave their cellular telephone at a separate location or in turn it off since they do not plan to commit the offense on that particular day. On December 23rd, 2022, I applied for and was granted a search warrant for historical phone records between November 12th at 12 a.m. and November 14th at 12 a.m for the 8458 phone held by phone provider AT&T approximately 24 hours preceding and following the times of the homicide. On December 23, 2022, pursuant to that search warrant, I received records for 8458 from the AT&T. These records indicated that the 8458 phone is subscribed to Brian Koberger at the address in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania, and the account has been open since June 23rd of 2022. These records also included historical cell site location information for the 8458 phone. After reviewing this information, I consulted with an FBI special agent that is certified as a member of the cellular analysis team, uh, also known as CAST. Members of CAST are certified with the FBI to provide expert testimony in the field of historical cellular analysis survey information. I'm sorry, for uh, cell, I'm sorry, cell site location information and are required to pass extensive training that includes both written and practical examinations prior to being certified with CAST, as well as the completion of yearly certification requirements. Additionally, the FBI CAST 
special agent that I consulted with has over 15 years of federal law enforcement experience, which includes six years with the FBI. From information provided by CAST, I was able to determine estimated locations for the 8458 phone from November 12, 2022 through November 13, 2022, the time period authorized by the court. On November 13th at approximately 2.42 a.m., the 8458 phone was utilizing cellular resources that provided coverage to 1630 Northeast Valley Road, apartment G201, Pullman, Washington, here and after the Kohlberger residence. At approximately 2.47 a.m., the 8458 phone utilized cellular resources that provided coverage southeast of the Kohlberger residence consistent with the 8458 phone leaving Koberger's residence and traveling through Pullman, Washington. This is consistent with the movement of the white Elantra. At approximately 2.47 a.m., the 8458 phone stops reporting to the network, which is consistent with either a phone being in the area without cellular coverage, the connection to the network is disabled, such as putting the phone in airplane mode, or the phone is turned off. The 8458 phone does not report to the network again until approximately 4.48 a.m., at which time it utilizes cellular resources that provide coverage to Idaho State Highway 95, south of Moscow, Idaho, near Blaine, Idaho, north of Genesee. Between 4.50 a.m. and 5.26 a.m., the phone utilizes cellular resources that are consistent with the 8458 phone traveling south on Idaho State Highway 95 to Genesee, Idaho, then traveling west towards Uniontown, Idaho, and then north back into Pullman, Washington. At approximately 5.30 a.m., 8458 phone is utilizing resources that provide coverage in Pullman, Washington, and consistent with the phone traveling back to Kohlberg's residence. The 8458 phone movements are consistent with the movement of the white Elantra that observed traveling north on Stadium Drive at approximately 527 a.m. Based on a review of the 8458 phone estimated location travel, the 8458 phone is, travel is consistent with that of the white Elantra. Further review indicated that the 8458 phone utilized cellular resources on November 13th, 2022, that are consistent with the 8458 phone leaving the area of Coburg's residence at approximately 9 a.m. and traveling to Moscow, Idaho. Specifically, the 8458 phone utilized cellular resources that would provide coverage to the King Road residence between 9.12 a.m. and 9.21 a.m. The 8458 phone next utilized cellular resources that are consistent with the 8458 phone traveling back to the area of the Cobra residence and arriving at the area at approximately 9.32. Below is a depiction, not to scale, of the possible route taken based off of cellular site locations. You can see the little description there. Investigators found that 8458 phone did connect to a cell tower that provides service to Moscow on November 14th, but investigators do not believe the 8458 phone was in Moscow on that date. The 8458 phone has not connected to any towers that provide service to Moscow since that date. Based upon my training experience and the fact facts of the investigation thus far, I believe that Koberger, the user of 8458 phone, was likely the driver of the white Elantra that is observed during 
departing Pullman, Washington, and this vehicle is likely suspect vehicle one. Additionally, the route of travel of the 8458 phone during the early morning hours of November 13th, 2022, and the lack of the 8458 phone reporting to AT&T between 2.47 a.m. and 4.48 a.m. is consistent with Koberger attempting to conceal his location during the quadruple homicide that occurred at the King Road residence. On December 23rd, 2022, I was granted a search warrant for Koberger's historical CSLI from the June 23rd, 2022 to current prospective location information and a pen register trap and trace on the 8485 phone to aid in its efforts to determine if Koberger stalked any of the victims in this case prior to the fence, prior to the offense, excuse me. Conducted surveillance on the King Road residence, was in contact with any of the victims associated before or after the alleged offense, any location that may contain evidence of the murders that occurred on November 13th, 2022, the location of the white Elantra registered to Koberger, as well as the location of Koberger. On December 23rd, 2022, pursuant to the search warrant, I received historical records from the 8458 phone from AT&T from the time the account was opened in June of 2022. After consulting with CAST special agent, I was able to determine estimated locations for the 8458 phone from June 2022 to present, the time period authorized by the court. The records for the 8458 phone shown I'm sorry. The records for the 8458 phone show the 8458 phone utilizing cellular resources provided coverage to the area of 1122 King Road on at least 12 occasions prior to November 13th of 2022. All of these occasions, except for one, occurred in the late evening and early morning hours of their respective days. One of these occasions, on August 21st, 2022, the 8458 phone utilized cellular resources providing coverage to the King Road residents from approximately 10.34 p.m. to 11.35 p.m. At approximately 11.37 p.m., Koberger was stopped by the Latah County Sheriff's Deputy Corporal Duke, as mentioned above. The 8 548 phone was utilizing cellular resources consistent with the location of the traffic stop during this time, Farm Road and Pullman Highway. Further analysis of the cellular data provided showed the 8458 phone utilized cellular resources on November 13, 2022, consistent with the phone traveling from Pullman, Washington, to Lewiston, Idaho via U.S. Highway 195. At approximately 12.36 p.m., the 8458 phone utilized cellular resources that would provide coverage to Kate's Cup of Joe coffee stand located at 810 Port Drive, Clarkston, Washington. Surveillance footage from the U.S. Chef's store located at 820 Port Drive, Clarkson, Washington, with adjacent to Kate's Cup of Joe showed a white Elantra consistent with suspect vehicle one drive past Kate's Cup of Joe at a time consistent with the cellular data from the 8548 phone. 
at approximately 12.46 p.m., the 8458 phone then utilized cellular data in the area of Albertson's Grocery Store at 400 Bridge Street in Clarkston, Washington. Surveillance footage obtained from the Albertson showed Koberger exit the white Elantra consistent with suspect vehicle one at approximately 1249 p.m. Interior surveillance cameras showed Koberger walk through the store, purchase unknown items at the checkout, and leave at approximately 104 p.m. Koberger's possible path of travel is depicted below. Additional analysis of the records for the 8458 phone indicated that between approximately 5.32 and 5.36 p.m., the 8458 phone utilized cellular resources that provide coverage to Johnson, Idaho. The 8458 phone then stops reporting to the network from approximately 5.36 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. That is consistent with the 8458 phone being in the area of the 8458 phone traveled in the hours immediately following the suspect time the homicide occurred. On December 27, 2022, Pennsylvania agents recovered the trash from Koberger's family residence located in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania. That evidence was sent to the Idaho State Lab for testing. And on December 28, 2022, the Idaho State Lab reported that a DNA profile obtained from the trash and the DNA profile obtained from the sheath identified a male not being excluded as the biological father of suspect profile. At least 99.9998% of the male population would be expected to be excluded from the possibility of being the suspect's biological father. Based on the information, I am requesting an arrest warrant to be issued for Brian C. Koberger, date of birth, November 21, 1994, for burglary at 1122 King Street in Moscow, Idaho, and four counts of murder in first degree for the murders of Madison Mogan, Kaylee Gonsalves, Zaina Cronodal, and Etha Chapin. I declare under the penalty of perjury to the law of the state of Idaho that the foregoing is true and correct. Well, there you go. You have it right there. Um, you didn't get a summary. You didn't get somebody's spin on it. You got it right there so that you can hear it for yourself. And you can say, yeah, I've uh, read or I've had somebody uh, listen to uh, somebody uh, read me everything in the affidavit. And um, obviously the big information is going to be the DNA on the K-bar sheath. Now we've talked about this. I've actually got a K-bar. When I was in the military, in the Marine Corps, everybody had a K-bar in the, in the Marine Corps. It was like, oh, uh, you know, they, you, I think they used to issue them in World War II. It was just a historical knife. And it has a sheath that you put the knife in. And at the top of the sheath, there's a little snap that goes so it doesn't, the knife doesn't fall out of the sheath or uh, fall away from the body and get snagged on something. So there's a little button there. And so... It's very interesting, one, that some physical evidence was left behind. And then, of course, then there's DNA um, on the uh, sheath that they recovered. And they recovered that on the morning of the bodies being discovered. Uh, so they have that information. Then they have the roommate who is providing a description of somebody um that they describe basically in the house. Uh, this is page four of the affidavit. So if you're reading along at home, 
Uh, it says DM stated she opened her door for the third time after she heard crying and saw a figure clad in black clothing and a mask that covered the person's mouth and nose walking towards her. DM described the figure as 5'10 or taller. We know that Carnotal's driver license said he was six feet. Uh, not very muscular, but athletically built and bushy eyebrows. The male walked past DM as she stood in a frozen uh, shock phase. The male walked towards the back sliding glass door. DM locked herself in the room after seeing the male. DM stated that she did not recognize the male, and, and investigators believe uh, that the murder left the scene. That's when the murder left the scene. Um, which is, you know, I'm not going to say, why did she not call the police immediately? I mean, she probably figured, didn't know what the hell was going on. It's called, I mean, who knows? Uh, but it is what it is. So during the time that the cell phone is not tracking uh, Koberger going to the uh, residence there at 1122 King Road, now you have a witness uh, giving a physical description. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of coincidences that uh, the defense is going to have to uh, poke a hole through. Now, of course, the DNA is going to be the uh, biggest uh, roadblock. It's my understanding, although they didn't articulate it in here, you know, they, they had this DNA sample. It's unclear, you know, uh, if it was a blood or if it was just sweat uh, whatever the DNA material was uh, that was on uh, that button snap of the knife sheath, um, clearly they were able to get a sample of it. Then ultimately they <laughs> recover from the trash um, in Pennsylvania. They recovered trash on December 27th, the family residence there in Albright, Pennsylvania. Uh, that was sent to the lab. It's amazing how they can get the DNA tested just like that when they need it. I was in court yesterday. Like, oh, we we can't get anything done. It's so so judge. We're so backlogged. Obviously, this is a high profile case. Um, they were going to uh, get that done immediately. The state lab, uh, the DNA profile obtained from the trash, and the DNA profile obtained from the sheath identified a male as not being excluded as the biological father of suspects profile and at least 99.9998% of the male population would be expected to be excluded from the possibility of the biological subjects, biological father. So um, now that they obviously have him in custody, the uh, prosecution can file uh, for a request, it's usually uh, here we refer to it as a 411 motion where they will go and get a buckle swab or buccal swab, depending on the part of the country that you do it from. Literally, they take a big old Q-tip. They tell somebody to run it on the inside of their cheek. Um, they put it in a little container, it's like plastic. They snap the top off, seal it up, and they will send it out. Then they will be able to see if they can get an exact match uh, because obviously you want to make sure that it's there versus not the biological father stuff, you know, the whole 23andMe genealogical uh, type of uh, situation. Uh, you know, and, and you know, there's been a lot of talk. Now, how many times have we said it over the years? Um, the cell phone, 
and the uh, cameras that exist in uh, all over today. They're monitored everywhere and they're saving, the government saves all of that stuff just for s situations like this. They go back and they, they analyze it. Um, when you talk to uh, police detectives and, and analysts right now, they spend most of their time looking at, um, you know, video footage, and they spend a lot of their time, uh, you know, reviewing cell phone data. Now, what I did like, what I did like, it was clearly noted in the uh, affidavit for arrest warrant that they applied for uh, this, these search warrants. And they were very limited in time and scope, which is good. And the reason why that's good is because remember that pesky old Fourth Amendment thing, right? You can't just go asking for data. You can't go asking for access to somebody's phone and just start rummaging around doing it. That completely violates the Fourth Amendment. The United States Supreme Court has said so. You can't do it. So what do these officers do when they're trying to get that data? Hey, we're just looking for the cell phone data for 24 hours before the murders and 24 hours after the murders. That's significant because that reduces the attack on the uh, motion to suppress the cell phone data items that were recovered. If the officer had asked for, we want all cell phone data going back, you know, from whenever the phone was hired, I think it was in, sometime in 2022 um, or 2020 when, when the, it was actually obtained. If they didn't have probable cause to say we need further reason to go back, it would be overly broad and that could be suppressed. And what does that mean? Then they couldn't use the cell phone tracking uh, to to uh, show that what a coincidence on the night of the murders, he just happened to have his cell phone off and it turned right back on during that little little window. What a coincidence. Uh, the police also went back to previous traffic stops and then they had the body cam videos to show, hey, this is the guy that's associated with this car. So if there's some sort of attack on, well, who else could have been driving? Because remember, in any criminal case, identification is the most important part of the case. They have to show ID. That's the most important part, that it was the defendant, not someone who looked like him, not someone using his identity, but it was actually him. I got something on my jacket here. What is that piece of fuzz? Anyway, <laughs> um, so they went to great lengths. So they got the DNA. They've got an ID by a witness. I mean, they can't, she can't go into court and say, that's the bad man that I saw, you know, walking by the house. They'd be curious to see if they have searched his residence and they located some Vans footwear uh, that they have a footprint on, or if that's just some random person. There was no real further mention of that other than the first uh, indication. When they went back for the second time, they found this footprint, um, but no indication uh, that there was a, a match there. The biggest thing, obviously, is going to be the DNA. It's going to be the phone. It appears as though he's, you know, hanging out by this by, by this house where these uh, four college students uh, uh, reside there at 1122 King Road. I mean, if you live in Pullman, Washington, what are the odds? Unless you have some reasonable explanation like, oh, my good friend or my professor, my study partner uh, lives just up the street. You know, if there's not any good reason for that, it clearly looks like somebody's doing weird, creepy stuff 
uh, stalking somebody, dare I say, and obviously we'll give everybody the presumption of innocence. We're just reading the facts as outlined here in the affidavit for the arrest warrant. Uh, so the police, you know, um, I, I'd be the first to admit it. I thought, you know, this, they weren't gonna, they weren't gonna be able to get this solved. And then the very next day they said, Hey, Scott, hold my beer. We gotcha. And they arrested Koberger, uh, the following day. Now we've got the affidavit pesky DNA. And how many times have I read this to you, ladies and gentlemen, where is it? I'm telling you, this is the best quote. And this is what always gets them, right? They always leave something behind. This is from an FBI training manual. It's old. I'm sure it needs to be updated. But it says, wherever the criminal steps, whatever he touches, whatever he leaves, even unconsciously, will serve as silent witness against him. Not only his fingerprints or his footprints, but his hair, the fibers from his clothes, the glass he breaks, the marks he leaves, the paint he scratches, the blood he deposits or collects, all of those and much more bear mute witness against him. This is evidence that does not forget. It is not confused by the excitement of the moment. It is not absent because human witnesses are. It cannot perjure itself. It cannot be prejudiced by being influenced by suggestion, by falsely reinforced identity. It cannot be wholly absent. Only human failure to find it, study it, and understand it can diminish its value. And here we have Koberger. What is speaking mute witness against him? DNA, the sheath. Now they don't have a knife, but they have a sheath that just happened to have his DNA on it. That's going to be a tough hurdle for most people to overcome unless, you know, the defense comes up with some theory of how it was transferred and, um, you know, somebody borrowed his car that particular evening. The defense has got to have some hurdles to come over here. Now, we don't have all the discovery, but the detectives laid it out pretty nice in the affidavit. Uh, let's face it, you know, everyone's always, well, there's going to be more. Mm, probably not. This is the bulk of it. They have to put in all their good stuff. They don't get to hold it back. Clearly, the DNA is their good stuff. Um, you got a witness potentially putting somebody with the same physical descriptions, uh, his eyebrows, his height. Uh, his physical build at that residence. I wonder if he's ever owned a pair of vans. You've got the car speeding away, kind of tracing it back. His cell phone just coincidentally wasn't uh, on during that time. And how many times have I said, it's going to be cell phone, man. It's going to be these ring doorbells, surveillance cameras. It's nearly impossible um, to get away with it. And And I hate to say it, I mean, I'm glad I get to say it, I guess, is that, thank goodness, not that there's any good in anything about the situation, so I don't want to be taken out of context, but I guess we're lucky that there weren't two more uh, homicides that took place that night when the roommates basically, see, or one of the roommates sees this guy. What's to stop him to going back in and taking care of that too? So fortunately, that did not happen. Um. She's lucky. I'm sure the roommates, obviously, you know, the trauma, uh, having to deal with their their friends uh, being being uh, killed, uh, but let alone thinking, oh my gosh, that probably could have happened to them as well. Uh, whew, scary, scary stuff indeed. Now, we're going to have to wait and see. Um, 
obviously he is going to be entitled, Mr. Koberger is going to be entitled to a preliminary hearing. I would expect that more than likely to be set out several months because uh, the prosecution is going to want to uh, make sure they turn over all the discovery. The defense is going to need time to review the discovery. The defense is going to have to hire cell phone experts. Uh, the defense is going to have to hire DNA experts. They're going to go through this and see if any mistakes were made. Bottom line, um, that's pretty, you know, I mean, that's really what the defense is going to come down to. Uh, they're going to, it's going to come down to cell phone DNA. That's really what it, it, it boils down to. And uh, unless the defense is going to be able to show, and I understand it's early, I understand it's early, but it's uh, it's going to depend upon uh, those set of circumstances. Unless it's early and they can have just some plausible explanation for all of these things. Oh, that old K-bar sheath. Oh, I gave that to Joe. But it wouldn't surprise me if my DNA was on that sheath. Um, you know, there's going to be something crazy like, if there is something like that, that's the only thing I can think of. But the mere fact that he left the sheath at the residence, um, allegedly, but the fact that that remained behind, um, you know, clearly, I wouldn't say clearly, I don't want to use, choose my words carefully, but it shows probably something went wrong, right? Probably when Ethan Chapin gets up, maybe confronts somebody, struggle perhaps, who knows, but something takes place where something doesn't go right. Like it's maybe in the sheath and then it's back out, but he loses it, right? You think that, I mean, can you imagine the moment that let's say he's driving back to Pullman, Washington via, you know, the highway there and he realizes or he's getting ready to dispose of the knife and he realizes, oh no, the sheath is not here. And obviously as a criminology major working on his PhD, he's probably studied a few things. I mean, he obviously knows, hey, I should probably turn my cell phone off. He just forgot to turn it off all those other times that he was creeping, following uh, these girls around. Uh, I mean, it is, can you just imagine when, when he uh, realized that that was gone? Like, oh, the gig is up. Now with the videos, we put up the one video and uh, it's been reported that, and I said this, uh, I think it was yesterday, when the video of them showing Koberger, Brian Koberger and the father driving across country and they're stopped in Indiana. Uh, there's reports now that that wasn't just by coincidence. Um, there was, they were directed by the FBI that was basically following this guy the entire way. It's called a pretextual stop, right? Agents ask state troopers, Hey, pull this car over. And if you notice the first body cam video didn't come out very well because it was like showing the side of the car, how dirty it was. Right. And then the next one shows him in the car. And um, reportedly, what they were trying to do was get a picture of his hands, which is consistent with a knife, right? And I, I, we've had the picture of the K-bar up. I guess I'll have to go into my rafters in my garage and uh, pull out my K-bar and bring it in 
to show you, but uh, we have that picture, Frank, we can show up at the K bar, you know, and think about, it. I mean, a, a, a knife uh, is a very obviously violent thing to do. Uh, but the K bar, you know, if you're holding something and you stab something, you know, there's a pretty good chance your hand's going to slip. You're going to get cut uh, on that. Um, you know, the, 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 the top of that is supposed to, the handle is like, like leather. Then you got the little piece of metal that's supposed to be there to protect your hand from going down on the knife when it hits something hard. And if somebody actually could, you know, cuts themselves something along those lines, um, then that, you know, you could basically get injured. And, um, the second video, do we have the second video up yet, Frank? I don't know. We got the first video, but it's not very good because it shows, uh, basically the dirty car, uh, there as well. And, um, so the other thing that's going to be interesting, uh, obviously, you know, they, they got, they recovered as garbage and they did their family genealogical thing, but now they're going to be able to get an actual true DNA sample. But the second video, uh, clearly looks like, you know, the officer kind of getting into focus there. And they're apparently they were trying to look at his hands uh, to see if there were any injuries. Now, obviously, when he's arrested, they're going to photograph him uh, to see if he has any injuries. Obviously, you know, seven weeks have gone by. You know, what is it going to show? I don't know. It had to be a pretty serious cut, but nobody seems to say. Oh, yeah, he, I saw this guy and he had a big bandage on November 14th. Um, you know, so it's, uh, probably pretty unlikely. Okay. So here's, here's the, uh, okay. He's going to, Frank's going to take a second, but when you look at that second video, um, clearly it looks like they're trying to, to do it. And, uh, last night, uh, the lovely Miss Kristen, uh, was uh, showing me this video saying, I think there's, everybody keeps saying there's something on his hands. Look at his hands, look at his hands. So, it's going to be um, what other physical evidence can they get? Obviously, they've already obtained a search warrant for the Cilantro. It's my understanding, the car had been detailed sometime shortly after November 13th. I haven't heard that from official sources, but somebody I've spoken with said that that is in fact the case. But I guarantee you, right, somebody's walking through a bloody crime scene. Literally, there's going to be blood on there so that if they track it yes there's snow there's mud whatever they're walking from the house to their car the slightest little dna if they can find some on a floor mat maybe in a crevice who knows maybe when the knife was in the car that there was something there if they find some blood in his house in his apartment you know we're just gonna have to i guess wait and see so to speak uh, what else they can come up with, but clearly the DNA is, is going to be a problem unless something completely develops, so to speak, uh, completely differently. Oh, we have trouble with that, Frank. Yeah. yeah one okay. Okay. Don't worry. We'll get it done. Uh, clearly there's plenty of plenty to, uh, talk about as it relates to as it relates to uh, the affidavit, I mean, the officer, I mean, I'm sure this has been read numerous times before it was submitted by the court. 
but I, I referring to page two that they found this K bar sheath and that they were able to recover a single source of male DNA left on the button of the snap of the knife sheath. Single person. That means not a mixture. Not, you know, I I grabbed this highlighter here and um, then I hand it to Frank. If they were to swab it for DNA, it more than likely would come up as a mixture. So the single source doesn't mean other people couldn't have touched it. It just means that they were able to recover a single source. Good for the prosecution. Some good evidence. Um, like I said, DNA, you're going to have to be able to uh, be able to explain how it got there. Okay. Hello. How you doing? How y'all doing today? Good, good. Take a look at your driver's license real quick if I could. See, he's right up on that van, man. He's right up on the back end of that van. Hold you over for tailgating. Is this your car? Okay. Cool. Where are you headed? Well, we're coming from WSU. And What's WSU? So we're okay. I, I'm having a hard time hearing you because of the traffic. So you're coming from Washington State University. And you're going where? Oh. We're going to be going to Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. We're a little, we're slightly clutchy because we're driving for hours. Hours, days. Hours to drive. Yeah. Almost a day. Okay. And what did you say about some SWAT team thing or something? Yeah, there was, yeah, there was the mass shooting and everything. Where? So y'all work at the university there? I actually do work there. Oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I hadn't heard about that incident. Just yesterday or? No, it just happened last week. About an hour and a half ago, we're still wrapping it up for investigating. I'm not sure the solution is if they did shoot somebody. Let's see. So that that stop uh, didn't just happen by uh, coincidence. That was directed by the FBI to have the officer uh, pull him over and you know find out who's driving, get his name, ID. You notice how that little limited uh, encounter turns into an extended one. Oh, really? You pulled me over, officer? Okay, can I have my ticket and send me on my way? But instead, the officer chats them up and gets all this information. He's a works at the university. He's studying there. Uh, there was a, you know, they thought there was some incident that took place, a mass shooting or something, and they're driving home and a little punchy they've been driving. It just shows you when the police come and talk with you, that, you know, the, 
The more you just keep talking, the more they just keep asking, and the more people tell. It's just human nature. So, uh, yeah, I mean, my, you know, hats off uh, to the attorney. Uh, the public defenders are going to represent Mr. Koberger. Uh, they got some work to do, and they're going to have to get their cell phone data analysts working on this as uh, quickly as they can. And they're going to need to uh, get the DNA uh, experts on this as well, because that's clearly what they have to do. The, I mean, that's really what it boils down to. But I like the way the uh, prosecution limited the scope of their searches, and they clearly note, oh, we only asked for this limited time period, and we only searched this. And because I'm telling you, you would be so surprised how overly broad uh, search warrants are, are drafted these days, even though they have to be limited, they have to be narrowly tailored. Most of them don't know. And the more we learn about this stuff is the police, even if they try to narrow it down, and this may be something the defense is going to have to look at. They didn't, they don't have his phone, but they have a cell phone data. Uh, but oftentimes it's kind of like one of those things, well, we have to dump the phone before we can then do a limited search of it, but then they still go rummage through it. So their experts are going to have their hands full to see what uh, they can do. But clearly there's, you know, Probable cause, would a reasonable person believe that uh, Mr. Koberger uh, committed a crime or the crime is committed that Mr. Koberger may have had something to do with it? I think there's probable cause at this point. And, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see how things play out. So, you know, when we start repeating ourselves, that means that usually the conversation is over. I know there's a ton of stuff we can talk about, but I got to go do some of that other uh, stuff called lawyer work. And uh, we'll obviously have a show that we'll do for later today. So hopefully you please join us. Thanks for watching for this breaking news. That's right. You got the affidavit. You heard everything. So when somebody says, oh, I heard this, you can say, nope, that's not what was in the affidavit. Let me tell you what was there. Because Scott Reich read it, explained it to me. Because why? When you can go to the source document... That's the most accurate information there is. And then you can find out exactly what's there. And you find out so many little tidbits. You can't trust what other people uh, necessarily write, particularly in the media, because they don't usually understand what they're looking for. Hopefully, that's why you come here. All right. Thanks for watching. We'll see you later today with the show. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk.